0: I have just chaired a meeting of the cabinet where we agreed that the government should call a general election to be held on the 8th of June. You're joking, not another one? Hello and welcome to Election Weekly, a strong and stable podcast from the Conversation UK. We're bringing you expert analysis on the 2017 general election campaign. I'm Laura Hood, the politics editor at The Conversation. Each week I'm talking to a range of experts to get to grips with what each of the main parties is pledging. But we're also talking about how to understand some of the subtler elements of the politics on display. How do we understand what each party is really saying when it makes a promise? And what are the real goals that lie behind certain campaign tactics? This is a particularly good week to consider that. We're recording this on Thursday morning when many people are just waking up to the news that the Labour Party's election manifesto has been leaked to the press. Before that leak happened, the biggest story of the week was the Prime Minister appearing on The One Show with her husband, ostensibly to talk about who takes the bins out in the May household, but in reality it was about much more than that. With me to talk about the Labour leak and Theresa May's bins are Stuart McInerney, from the University of Leeds, and Paula Keevney from Edge Hill University. I'm really keen to talk about this leaked manifesto that we were hearing about overnight. We don't have a huge amount of detail at the moment, but we know a few things about what's in it. It seems that Labour wants to promise a certain amount of renationalising of the energy industry, it does not want to leave the EU without a Brexit deal, and it doesn't want to make false promises about immigration. What are you taking away from the kinds of things we're seeing in this manifesto, Stuart?
1: Well, my impression is based on the reports last night, this morning. I think what we're looking at, the the manifesto looks as if it will probably be the most distinctively left of centre manifesto that we've seen from Labour in at least 25 years. I don't think I'd go as far as some commentators. I mean, some commentators are describing it as a... A hard left manifesto. I'm not sure it's going to really pan out that way. I'm not sure it'll really be particularly far removed from the kind of manifesto that Ed Miliband stood on in in 2015. But it's certainly um, an agenda which is set to try and appeal to some of Labour's traditional support. But I think particularly, you see with the um, policies like tuition fees, particularly targeting young voters. And of course, we know that young people are more likely to opt for labour.
0: The promise to abolish tuition fees was quite a surprise. This was a policy that um, really tripped up the Liberal Democrats uh, a few years back. Is it a good idea to promise this? Is it possible? I mean, this is
1: an issue that I think a lot of people in the Labour Party over the last uh, 10, 15 years have, have felt somewhat let down by the leadership stance on tuition fees. And certainly um, the idea of free education is very close to the heart of uh, a lot of Labour Party members and supporters. So I think this is... The the policy is a is a product really of of two things. It's that, that kind of ideological commitment to to free education, but tied to the fact that Labour you know they need to try and change the narrative of the election. They need to try and get the discussion onto policies, uh, onto issues. And of course this this is a very um, Way of doing that.
2: I mean, to be honest with you, I, what I find fascinating about this isn't so much the content, it's why it was leaked and how it was leaked and, and that the various thoughts that, that may have gone on be, behind that. So we may have somebody who's leaking this because they want to effectively make sure certain things are in it. I mean, it'll be much harder now for the Labour Party to remove one of the things um, that's in the leak document, or it may be uh, people within the party that want to issue a challenge, or it may, in fact, be a programmed leak, as, as we do have these things sometimes in politics, in order to get a running story going. I mean, Labour's been running a fairly standard playbook up to now, which is a policy a day announcement. And in a sense, the manifesto will then be part of that. But the policy a day hasn't been cutting through up to now. Everything is still being seen through the prism of, yeah, but you're not going to get in, are you? So for me, the fascinating thing about this is,
0: is why the league. So we haven't actually seen the Labour manifesto. We've just heard about what might be in it. But what we do understand is is that it's extremely comprehensive and contains a very large number of policies. Oh, should we be impressed by that? And uh, what does that tell us about Labour's current position? Is it the luxury of a party that knows it isn't actually going to make it into government? Stuart?
1: There's potentially a risk in that um, people often refer back to uh, 1983, you know, when Labour suffered a heavy defeat. And um, Gerald Kaufman famously described. The election manifesto there is the longest suicide note in history. Um, so there is there is there is that risk that um, you have such a range of commitments, and it then becomes difficult to focus the, the news agenda on on your central priorities.
2: It's, I mean, it's an interesting dilemma because um, on the one hand, uh, you know, Stuart's right. If you have a very long list, you open yourselves up to attack for for you know many many more times over. Um, On the other hand, Labour need to demonstrate that they have plans for everything they need to have plans for. So they can't get away with a very, very general, you know, we're in favour of justice type approach. And manifesto writing has has become quite an art these days. In 2010, the Conservative manifesto actually said very little. Um, It was about setting a particular tone. Um, Now, clearly, if Labour's published version is very detailed. They're taking a a different approach to that. And it'll be interesting to see how people react to it. Most normal people don't read manifestos. But on the other hand, it is about agenda setting. And it is about, in a sense, saying, here we are, this is our position. And I suspect Labour have to be detailed, because a lot of the criticisms that have come out so far have been about... Well, nobody knows what you stand for. You know, what are your policies? Nobody knows. You're too fuzzy. And I suspect this is a way of dealing with that. Mm.
0: One of the standout things for me when I was uh, reading about the leak was this refusal to make false promises about immigration. This, just after the Conservative Party uh, made some noises last week about potentially uh, continuing with their quite difficult. Uh, immigration cap policy, which has caused them a lot of problems in government. Is it a bit of a gamble for um, Labour to stand back um, on making promises about immigration, given they've been under quite a lot of pressure in recent years to take a harder line on it?
2: Well, I think they're stuck because um, you're right, they, they have been under pressure and, and many of their sort of traditional heartlands want them to be tougher on immigration. But, you know, they can see that it's actually impossible To set a figure and stick to it because of the the, the very many knock-on things that that affect the, the migration situation. Because if we're talking about net migration, that involves being able to control people leaving as well. And that's pretty impossible, quite frankly. So they are a bit stuck. And I think they're right to say... We won't make false promises, because in a sense, that is an attack on the fact that David Cameron uh, made a commitment and and failed dramatically. And in fact, Theresa May, as Home Secretary, was part of that failure. So I see that line as an attack line on the Conservatives.
1: I I think on that issue as well, it's a a nice position um, for Labour. And, you know, the difficulty they have is they, they want to challenge the Conservatives. Um, Of course, there's there's a lot of people in the Labour Party um, concerned about a lot of the rhetoric about immigration, and particularly in the context of Brexit, a fear that um, uh, an excessively tough line will be taken. So this more general statement about not making false promises allows them to both expose, if you like, highlight a failure of the Conservatives to meet their own targets, but also not um, to take a stance that is going to particularly upset the, their own core support.
0: Now, the other big story of the week was a uh, rather amusing appearance by the Prime Minister and her husband on uh, the BBC's The One Show. Uh, It was an interview that wasn't really about anything at all. Nothing of any particular import was discussed. Uh, We heard about walking holidays and we saw Mr May get probed about his sartorial choices. But what was really going on in this interview? What was the message the Prime Minister was trying to convey and, and who was the audience for it? Paula?
2: Well, I think, you know, we've seen, you know, over a number of years, politicians making more use of the so-called soft media, you know, the sort of going on chat shows and um, using women's magazines, because there is um, an interest in the, the sort of backstory of politicians. Now, Theresa May has been quite canny about not saying a lot about her backstory but i suspect she'd got to the point where advisors were saying look you've got to say a little bit about yourself in terms of non-political side of things um and so it was about that the one show is a good choice of a forum to do this you know it's exactly the right type of audience for this um I don't think Theresa May does particularly well in these sorts of environments. She's not a sort of relaxed, Tony Blair, away type of person or a David Cameron who could be quite sort of smooth at this. Of the two, her husband was the better performer <laughs> yeah. um, on television. But then, you know, we're not electing somebody to, to be able to sit and talk about their marriage, are they? And I think it's one of these things politicians have accepted they have to do, She, I don't think, really particularly wanted to do it. She's probably ticked it off now and move
0: on. Stuart, how did you find her performance? Lots of people, millions of people,
1: are watching the one show and, and what programs like that allow politicians to do is to, to reach voters in a very direct way. You're, you're reaching people that often are, don't necessarily pay particularly much attention to politics. Not only that, but you're reaching them in a context where you're, you're not being grilled by someone like Andrew Neil um, or Jeremy Paxman. There's a kind of light-hearted feel to it. And of course, it's easier to come across as um, down to earth human, um, relatable, Uh, and and just to talk about everyday things, I mean, you know, Theresa May was saying, you know, talking about Eurovision, she was saying, oh, you know, I'm uh, I'm worried no one will vote for us now after Brexit, and of course, that's exactly the sort of thing that ordinary people will be sitting saying, and I I think it's interesting to look at the reception of the one show as well, I mean, one of the um, themes in the, the, the coverage yesterday was that it was all a bit boring, but of course, there's a sense in which that's quite good for the Conservatives. It suits the Conservatives to have a fairly mundane campaign because, as things stand, they're poised to do very well.
0: So they can just chug on home to victory, just by keeping it nice and safe. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, the the one show interview also spoke to another emerging theme of this election, which is that. Um, Everywhere you look, it's it's about Theresa May. It's not about the Conservative Party. Her face is everywhere. She's uh, out on the doorstep. This is a parliamentary election, but all we're seeing is her, her, her. Um, what are we to make of that approach by the Conservatives?
2: Seem to be going much more this way now, um, and you know, much more focusing on leaders. And you know, this isn't the first the first time this has happened. There was a lot of focus on on Tony Blair, for example. Um, for for the people like myself, I, I I've really regret this because actually when I go to vote I won't be voting for Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn or Tim Farron I'll be voting for my local candidate and my fear is that by focusing so much on the leader figure uh, we actually forget what local democracy is all about but having said this we are now driven by the by the demands of the the visual media and This is the way um, things are going. Now, it's to the advantage of the Conservatives to to cast a campaign this way. Because if you cast a campaign around your lead figure, it forces people to make a comparison, not with their Labour MP, but with the equivalent, who, of course, is Jeremy Corbyn. I think
1: one thing we know from looking at um, the way voting behaviour has changed over recent decades is that nowadays there are less people who are looking um, at, at the particular policies um, of, of of parties, and there's more voters who are taking um, shortcuts uh, in in how they evaluate parties. And one of the ways they do that is by looking at leadership. And again, it, it, often it's less about sort of left or right, but it's more about perceptions of competence, asking themselves who will make the best prime minister, and so on. And this has been developing for a while, and actually going back in the 80s and 90s, um, the Labour Party at that time, they often made leadership a big theme. So um, with Neil Kinnock in the 1980s, they actually made an effort to present him in a kind of presidential way, hoping that even if, if people didn't like Labour, that they might see him as a potential prime minister. Um, now, that didn't work for them, but of course they had a lot more success in the 1990s doing the same with Blair. So we have kind of built this, that um, uh, this kind of presidential theme has developed over time. I think what we see with, with Theresa May at the moment is the Conservatives see the opportunity here to not just win, but potentially to break into new areas to perhaps you know, get some breakthroughs uh, in Scotland or in other parts of the UK where they've really struggled. And of course, what they're doing there is they're aware that the, the conservative brand in, in Scotland and Wales has been tarnished over a long period of time. But this time they're trying to say, well, look, um, let's leave aside parties for a minute, get people to focus on you know, who is going to be prime minister. Uh, and that seems to be working for them um, at the moment.
0: So uh, picking up on what you were saying about trying to reach out to new areas and to new voters, we do seem to be seeing that from Theresa May somewhat. She, uh, she's been coming out with some ideas that have perhaps been seen as less uh, traditionally conservative, uh, including the idea of an energy price cap, um, talking a lot about uh, social justice. Is this a campaign tactic or are we actually seeing some insight into her personal political ideology?
2: It's a difficult one, really, isn't it? Because, um, in a sense, some of this goes back to when she became prime minister, that first speech that she made. Um, And she said some quite surprising things in in that first speech. So part of it does sort of fall back onto her own um, personal approach. But, you know, you can't get away from the fact that, that some of it is also spectacularly useful in terms of positioning you know we we remember her speech when she was party chairman talking about people may see the conservatives as the nasty party um uh, and what she appears to be doing now is attempting to eliminate some of the perceptions that may still exist around that so it's a useful positioning tool um i would also say that by doing this she um, nudges labour leftwards now you know they may well have gone leftwards anyway so you know that that may be irrelevant but she begins to occupy a space which Blair would have been strongly in. And as she begins to occupy that space, she she creates difficulties for some of her um, political opponents. So what would be interesting for me is to see when the Conservative manifesto is actually published, how much of this material actually makes it in.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that is an interesting question. I think with both the parties at the moment, this is what's actually making the manifesto launch in some ways more interesting than we've seen in recent elections because in, in the case of both Corbyn and May as still relatively new leaders, the, the manifesto is an opportunity for for them uh, and and the party to to define themselves more in in ideological terms. Because, you know, both of them have have faced the question of, okay, you know, what are you going to do? Or or where do you really stand in relation to, you know, Thatcherism, Blairism, um, and so on. I I think with with Theresa May, um, you're seeing an interesting combination of, in in some ways, you know, some people are interpreting um, her agenda as a, a shift to the right, the way she's using... Um, themes of of British patriotism in relation to Brexit, we might interpret that as a shift to the right. But then in these other areas um, that you've mentioned, like energy caps, commitment to an industrial policy, and so some of the other things conservatives have done in recent years, like um, the living wage policy, which, of course, again, was originally a policy promoted by Ed Miliband. And in that sense, you could argue that there's a little bit of a, a shift to the left um, in economic policy. So this is why some people are saying um, it, it might be that, that Theresa May could be interpreted as uh, being similar in some respects to the kind of Conservatism um, you see in Europe, uh, a kind of Christian democratic focus, which is which is uh, in, 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 on social issues, uh, on national issues, um, very traditionally conservative, but then is a bit more to the left than what we've been um, used to getting from the, the conservatives, and um, since the days of Thatcher, so it's, it's going to be quite interesting to see um, if the conservative you know, manifesto tells us much more about that.
0: Indeed. Well, thank you very much indeed to both of you for that very useful rundown of the the events of the week. Paula Keaveney and Stuart McCannela, thank you very much. Thank
1: thank you very much.
0: So there we have it. We weren't quite expecting to know so much about Labour's manifesto at this point and it will be interesting to see what makes it into the final document when it's published apparently next week. The Conservative Party is also due to publish its manifesto next week, although it's not yet confirmed which day. (music) If you'd like to read more about the issues we've been discussing today, you can find in-depth analysis on The Conversation. Sign up to our daily briefing at theconversation.com newsletter. This episode of Election Weekly was produced by Gemma Ware. And the music you've been listening to is called Chasing It by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Election Weekly via iTunes or pick it up at whichever podcast emporium you currently prefer. Finally, a big thanks to the journalism department at City University for letting us use their studios. That's all from me, Laura Hood, politics editor at The Conversation. Join us every Thursday for election weekly ahead of polling day. Goodbye.